all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Before we get started, um, housekeeping, normal uh, follow us, beg because we need validation. Yes. Um, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We, we need your adoration. We do. We require it. It's like um, uh, Tinkerbell if you say you don't believe in fairies like she dies or whatever. <laughs> if you don't listen to us, we just slowly... So just look for us anywhere yes. at All Bad Things Pod. Pod. Yes, including our Gmail, our website, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, as I mentioned last on last week's episode, we've developed quite a nice, lovely, jubbly little community of um, podcasters on Twitter, <laughs> which is so fun. Um, and I want to—I kind of want to get into the habit of. Of mentioning one every episode. I think sure. that'd be nice, you know, because yeah. they're our friends. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how they're going to take to jubbly. Lovely jubbly. Lovely it's, jubbly? It's a, it, it's a happy thing. Oh, okay. Well, it like sounds like it great is. Great British Bake Off. All right. Oh, okay. Lovely I was going to say, it sounds British. Yes. Lovely jubbly. Mary Berry would approve. Oh, uh, the, the cake you have approved of is not worth of approval. <laughs> that I, I don't know. Okay. I, I'm doing my... I'm doing my I'm doing a mashup of American Idol and, oh. and the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> Simon Cowell, the new Great British Bake Off judge. That would be awesome. And yet it wouldn't because <laughs> British Bake Off is the nicest thing in the world, and he would only ruin it. True, so, he yeah. would make it kind of mean, but it would, would. All, it would make it, it would make it kind of fun too. Well, for a different audience, maybe. But anyway. The show I would like to mention, the podcast I would like to mention, is Murder Under the Midnight Sun. Um, the woman who hosts it lives in Alaska. That, that's, a, that's a great name. Isn't it? Yes. It, it makes complete sense, too, mm-hmm. since she's from Alaska. Double recommendation here. She's also part of a very different podcast called The Sinister Sisters. Okay. I, I like that, too. Yeah, and it's um, <laughs> several women who are, like, they live in different places, so they're all recording in their respective places, you know, online uh, as a conversation, but they are all um, very much into um, horror movies. Okay. I think you would I like would, that I would one. definitely check that horror out. Horror movies aren't 100% yes. my thing, but it's I think you would definitely like definitely my thing. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, those are two, um, two great pods to check out. Um, mm-hmm. Also, just by very nice people, as the cats try to get into the room. Stay out. Okay. All right. Are we ready for today's disaster? I am uh, as ready as I could possibly be. <laughs> for I bad think. things, yes. 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 Um, I kind of What do, hint, what do, what do we have on hints. deck? On deck today is the Tenerife collision. Okay. So, I did allude to the fact that this was a biggie mm-hmm. in terms of... Um, of disasters, this is the worst of its kind in disasters. Okay. Any guesses? Tenerife collision. I, I have honestly no idea. Like, a collision, I think of a car crash or like mm-hmm. a pileup. Sure. But I doubt that that's what this is going to be. It is not. What we are talking about is the worst or the deadliest aviation accident in history. No shit. Yes. Most deaths in, from... In history, history. History, history. Like, from in the history, history of, of aviation. Plane. Yes. This is the worst. Okay. Oh, no. well, I'm... Deadliest, rather. I am definitely uh, uh, perked up. Yes, yes. In the worst way possible. I know. So on March 27th, 1977, the year of our David's birth... two months after i was born yeah yeah you were two months old klm flight 4805 and pan am flight 1736 
collided. No shit. On the runway. Oh, on the runway. Yes. I, I thought you were about like to say. Like midair. There are midair collisions. We will be sure. covering them, and they're pretty awful. But no, this was on the runway. Damn. So the deadliest aviation accident in history was happened, on the ground. Happened on the ground. Interesting, huh? Um, on the runway of Los Rodeos Airport in Tenerife, Canary Islands. Oh, okay. Killing 583 people. Oh, shit. Yes. Deadliest, yeah, it remains to this day the deadliest accident in aviation history. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what happened is fascinating and terrible. All I'm thinking of for this to have happened was somebody was speeding up on the runway when they shouldn't have been, mm-hmm. or maybe somebody was on the runway, mm-hmm. something like that. That's kind of where I'm... Gotcha. Thinking where this is going. You're, you're kind of on the right track. This is... So many of our um, disasters, I feel like we say, it was a perfect storm, you know? Kind of just like a bunch of circumstances that all came together at the right time or the wrong time as it ended up, yes. you know? This is one of those. So, so some background. The Los Rodeos Airport is now named um, Tenerife North Airport, but at the time it was called Los Rodeos, is on the island of Tenerife, Canary Islands. Now, do you know where the Canary Islands are? I had to look it up. (laughs) I I, I have no idea. I really don't. We in our brilliant geographical knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) I barely know where Georgia is. Gotcha. It's only a couple of states away. So Tenerife is the most populous of the Canary Islands, and the Canary Islands are an archipelago. Oh, okay. I've, I've heard of that region. Like a, yeah. an, an islands, yeah. Yes. And an autonomous community of Spain located... So Spain is in, like, southern Europe, right? Um, so the Canary Islands are located off the southwestern coast of Morocco. So they're almost just off the coast of Africa, basically. Okay. So that's where they are, but they're a, like a Spanish territory, or the, so are uh, they? Are they in the ocean? Community. I'm guessing. Or yeah, 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 in the which, Atlantic. Which, uh-huh. Oh, well, okay, I mean, that part. Of the, so yeah, like Western Africa, off the okay. coast of Western Africa. Yeah, and that's about as far as the Atlantic stretches out. That's when it gets to be renamed, like the Indian oh, like Ocean. A, oh, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Don't know. I did not. I, d- I did study. not. I did not. I did not. <laughs> well, at what point it becomes other? Like if it becomes something different when it goes up into Spain, you know, and the Mediterranean, it would be the Mediterranean. I guess. I, I think. I think we're gonna have to cut all this because I have no fucking clue. <laughs> like, or we'll leave it in because at least it will uh, incentivize people to contact us if only to correct us. I, I guess. I, I guess. Like in my mind, I don't think of the Atlantic Ocean making it to Africa. That's just. But it totally. But does. I guess that's it where, does. That's where hurricanes generally start in the Atlantic. Is off the western coast of Africa. Okay, all right. We'll be discussing that very soon, too. <laughs> oh, yes. Geez. We have um, some very big disasters coming up. Some horrifying treats for you. For all you disaster fans. Yeah. Which would be everybody listening to this. Hopefully. Otherwise, they're just we've got a We've got a body count heading your way. <laughs> Hashtag body count. Yes. <laughs> so, um... So there were two flights, obviously, collision, as I mentioned, um, involved in this uh, in this collision. KLM Flight 4805 and Pan Am Flight 1736. They were both Boeing 747s. Jumbo jets. Giant, Gigantic giant, planes. Yes. Which because, is why so many people died, because there yes. were so many people on board. Yes. Huge capacities. Yeah. Um, 747s are minimum like 350 hmm. passenger capacity. So yes, these are these are giant. Oh, um, I read recently, actually, that they're starting to sort of be reduced in number of... Uh, United and Delta, I think, are dropping 747s from their fleets. Um, there are other types of planes, I guess, in more favor, but, um, 747s initially started flying commercially in, um, 1970. So this was like seven oh, years okay. and they, they were kind of a big deal. Still you know? kind of a new thing. Uh-huh. Um, and at that time and for a long time afterwards, they did actually hold the record for biggest, um, passenger capacity. Okay. Um, so the, the plane that was Pan Am Flight 1736 was, the plane itself, was the very first 747 to fly commercially. No shit. It okay. had a dent on its nose from the champagne bottle 
that they oh, hit it with. Okay. Yeah. And it, it its well, inaugural and, voyage was from JFK to Heathrow. And at this time, Pan Am was a huge, huge airline. Yes, yes. They, they do not big. exist anymore. No, they don't. But, but at, they were very big. At that big. time, that was, you know. They, they were, were sort like, of the flagships. They were like the McDonald's of uh, yeah. flying. Yeah, of, of, um, of aviation, yeah. A commercial flight, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the name of this aircraft, it being the inaugural 747 in commercial flight, was the Clipper Victor. Okay. Um, now, yeah, yeah that, that would hold true, wouldn't it? Clipper. It get clipped. It, well, <laughs> yeah, we'll hear yes. more about yes, that. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was a collision. It wasn't just a clip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So flight 1736, this Pan Am plane, was on its way to Gran Canaria. Canary Islands, the second most populated, populous um, of the Canary Islands, from um, LAX, Los Angeles, Los Angeles International, via JFK. So they had made a stopover in New York and were headed over to the Canary Islands. Um, but notice I did say Grand Canaria, Canary Islands, not Tenerife. Okay. So that will, we'll, we'll get to that. Shot! <laughs> KLM is the oldest continually operating airline in the world. Like we were saying, Pan Am isn't still around. KLM is. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. All right. Um, It was founded in 1919. This is like almost a 100-year-old airline. That's old. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. For a commercial airline. Yes. Flight 4805 was piloted by Captain Jacob Veldhuizen Van Zanten. Yes. You you know him well? As it should be. (laughs) Anybody yes. with that name should be flying something or leading an orchestra or mm-hmm. um, <laughs> leading an orchestra, being a conductor. Yes, yes. yeah, or, <laughs> or writing music, being yeah. a composer. He yeah. should be doing one or of those painting, things. Um, yeah. Painting impressionist paintings yeah. or something. He should yeah. be doing actually. He should be doing all those things at once. <laughs> yes, simultaneously yes. whilst flying. Yes. <laughs> um, so he was actually famous. In of course he for was. KLM. Well, here's well, why. I mean, listen to his name. <laughs> it wouldn't have, wouldn't have mattered. Uh, this took place where again? I'm sorry. Tenerife. Okay, in the Canary Islands. Mm-hmm. Okay, he could have been a hockey player in the Canary Islands at that time, <laughs> and they don't even know what hockey is. And they're like, right. hey, check out this guy's name. This, <laughs> this guy's awesome. Like <laughs> he's probably, just, he's right. just, he just has to be. Uh huh. Well, he was famous because. He was the literally the the poster child for KLM. His face oh, was really? used in ad campaigns as sort of steely glare, like yeah. look, like you know when well, they show was, captains like a full of confidence. And, so he was literally an icon. Yes, yes, for KLM. Yeah, and uh, he was their chief flight instructor. This guy was like legit the big cheese of pilots for KLM. Um, he had 11,700 flight hours under his belt, and he was considered I'm gonna the go best. With, I'm going to go with that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure anything I've done for 11,000 hours. but um, So the, the flight itself, 4805, had been chartered by Holland International Travel Group to, tra- to fly from Amsterdam, hence the Van Zanten, um, to Gran Canaria. Also, not Tenerife. Neither of these, pl- neither of these planes were supposed to fly to Tenerife. Okay, so yeah, okay. All right. Well, let's find out why. Yes. So on March twenty seventh, nineteen seventy seven, just after one p.m. local time, authorities on Gran Canaria, so different island, not Tenerife, where this collision happened. This is Gran Canaria, the second most populous island of the Canary Islands. Were warned there was a bomb. In the Gran Canaria airport, in the capital of Las Palmas, uh, Gran Canaria. The bomb had been planted by the... You ready for my Spanish? Sure. All right. (laughs) But at first I thought you said a bum. A bum. It was the atom bum. (laughs) They were delivering the atom bum. For for a second and a half, I was like, why would a bum (laughs) being in an airport, like, saw... uh, are we a, a bit slow today? Yes, we are. <laughs> okay. But it is what that's what For it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. A bomb. You, there you go. A bomb. Pretty, pretty, sure pretty sure you did say a bum was hanging around. <laughs> There's a the bum on your bus. The, the, the bum. The atom. The atom, the atom bum. bum. <laughs> a BLMB bomb. 
All right. Oh, oh that kind of bomb. Yes. It had one been, that explodes. Yes. Okay. Yes. The bomb bomb. <laughs> She just said it again. No, I said the bomb. I said it twice. I said bomb, and somehow you keep hearing just it before bomb. that. I said, said bomb. You're gonna listen back to this episode and realize that you were like you're going deaf. Okay. Okay. Or I'll realize I was right. At least right. I know some sign language. <laughs> you do. All right. That might come in play. The bomb had been planted by the movimiento por la autodeterminación. Independencia del Archipelago Canario. That sounds bad. It's not that bad. It is the MPAIAC. The the bomb or the group? The group. Also known as the Canary Island Independence Movement. So it's the movement for um, autodeterminación. I don't know what that means. But an independence for the archipelago of the the Canary Islands. They they wanted independence from Spain. Yeah. It's 1977. Yes, very revolutionary time, right? So authorities began evacuating the terminal concourse and the bomb (laughs) went off at 1.15 p.m. in the flower shop. So this bomb Oh, no shit. Yes. No one was killed. They had largely evacuated everybody. Eight people did get hurt, but nobody died, and the terminal obviously was damaged. Sure. So, and, they, and they just shut everything down. Yes. From, so the way, the reason they knew... I, I see where we're going. Yeah. So the reason they knew that it was this organization is because they got a phone call from them claiming responsibility and saying, we've got a second bomb. I'm going to start saying it in a Midwest accent. Bomb. <laughs> uh, somewhere in the airport. So yeah, authorities to, to throw everybody off. Well, so, or there was they, so so they closed but, the airport. But they did the right thing and got everybody out of yeah, there and closed it. Yeah, so they completely closed down the airport. And now I see what? why one of these planes, both of them, both of these planes, both of these planes were supposed to, to re- land there. Are going to have to reroute. They got rerouted. Yes, they got mm-hmm. rerouted to Tenerife. They Jesus. weren't even supposed to be there. So there's like one aspect of this perfect storm. Neither of them were supposed to be there, but they were because of this um, MPAIAC group. Mm-hmm. So around 2 o'clock local time, um, flight 4805 and 1736 ended up at Tenerife. Okay. Um and around 4 p.m. local time, Grand Canaria Airport reopened and began accepting traffic again. Oh, really? So that quickly? So within the same day? Yeah, I mean, we're not talking giant airports either. These are smaller islands, you know. So so basically they just had to hang out at this other airport at Los Ordeos for a couple of hours, and then they were going to go back to Gran Canaria. So flight 4805 and 1736 were parked next to each other. They said basically like wingtip to wingtip. At the southeastern corner of the terminal. So they were they were parked. Um, the weather was fine. They were basically ready to go. But um, KLM Flight 4805 requested extra fuel at the last minute. This is going to be circumstance number two of the perfect storm. Um, so both flights were delayed for like a half hour to... Um, to leave because the Pan Am flight couldn't leave until KLM did because of their positioning. So KLM had to taxi out before the Pan Am flight could. Oh, man. Now, during this delay, the weather, which was fine, started to deteriorate in that a heavy fog started rolling in. Hmm. So now we're talking about perfect storm number three. And apparently that's not uncommon in this area. It's like a couple thousand feet above sea level. Like this was not an so, uncommon So weather thing. patterns are going to be erratic. Like, like at yeah. best. Well, and, and there would be fog. The yeah. fog was typical. So and that wasn't completely like unheard of. It's just that because of this delay, the weather went from good to poor visibility. Because the tarmac had become so congested by all of the planes that had been rerouted, planes that were heading that were taking off had to taxi instead of down a ta- down taxiways down the runway itself, then get to the end, make a 180 degree turn, and take off in the exact opposite direction. I see where we're going. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. 
So this is pretty rare in commercial flights because the runways and taxiways are designed so that that doesn't happen, but the procedure is called a back taxi. So So flight 4805, the KLM flight, began taxiing to the end of runway 12 at Los Rodeos, and um, Pan Am flight 1736 started coming behind it. It was also taxiing in the same direction. So, yeah, we can start seeing what's about to happen. So the KLM plane, KLM plane, I put KLLM. I think that's a truck company. KLM um, got to the end of the runway taxiing, made its 180-degree turn, and so now the Pan Am flight is, they're, they're heading in this, they're pointed in the same direction. The KLM flight is parked, not moving. The Pan Am flight is taxiing. Um, in the direction going towards the KLM flight. So the idea was the KLM flight was going to stay there, wait until they got instruction for takeoff, and the Pan Am flight was going to take, there were all these um, taxiways off to the left that they could take. There was four, I think, and they were supposed to take the third one. And And because of poor markings and low visibility because of the fog, the Pan Am pilot missed the turn off to the third taxiway. Not generally a big deal. They had one more taxiway that they could pull off on, so that was the plan. They were just going to pull off onto that, or out onto that taxiway four, and everything would be fine and shouldn't be a problem. Except flight 4805 was at the end of the runway, stopped, pointed toward the Pan Am flight, Um, Now, this whole day obviously had put everybody in a bit of a pissy mood. It was just a clusterfuck of a situation. Terrorism and rerouted flights and waiting for two hours with, like, grumpy passengers. It just wasn't a wonderful day. Um, And it was noted that the pilot of 4805, our Van Zanten was getting particularly irritated by this whole situation. He's getting impatient, wanted to get going, you know. So Flight 4805 First Officer Klaus Muirs. That's a good good first officer. (laughs) Yes. Just Uh off that name alone. Uh Uh, He received air traffic control, or ATC, route clearance by radio. So what route clearance is, it's not, not takeoff, Clearance. It's basically giving them, like, um, it's a procedure given to outline, like, their turns, their altitudes, the frequencies they should use after takeoff. So it's like the route, the actual route itself, the information they're giving. Normally, this information is given far in advance of takeoff. But because of just the situation of the day, the overwhelming traffic, just everything, the delay in the fuel, the Mm -hmm. whole bit... They were getting it right before takeoff, so, um, so so because the route was the the route clearance was given so close to takeoff, because of the circumstances of the day, because of the of impatience, whatever, the clearance for the route was mistaken by the pilot Van Zanten for clearance for takeoff. Oh. He mistook. We got route clearance for, we got takeoff clearance. Mm -hmm. So after acknowledging the air traffic control route from the control tower, First Officer Muirs ended his radio transmission by saying, somewhat hesitantly, as Van Zanten started accelerating the engines, we are now uh, at takeoff. So he was kind of like, wait. Why are we at takeoff? We just got route clearance. We didn't didn't get takeoff clearance. But he didn't say anything, and he didn't like yeah. point out to Van Zanten, and that was something brought up later that Van Zanten was so like high up at KLM that maybe he felt he couldn't say something, you know, like "Hey, what are yeah, you doing?" I guess. Yeah. Anyway, Van Zanten released the brakes and said, "Let's go." So flight forty-eight oh five began accelerating down the runway. The control tower and Flight 1736 became alarmed when they heard Muirs say, um, we're at takeoff. They heard takeoff, and they were just like, wait. They're like, no, you're not supposed to be. Right. They didn't think the plane would actually be taking off without clearance. 
So oh, yeah, that's the other thing yeah, too. They somebody, both knew they didn't have somebody clearance. from the tower has to say you have, you're cleared yeah, for takeoff. Yeah, you're ready to go. Yes, and they didn't. So they were all just like, "Wait, did we just hear what we heard that they're that they're taking off?" So flight 1736 first officer Bob Bragg radioed the control tower in flight 4805 saying, "And we're still taxiing down the runway." Oh my god! At the same time. The control tower radioed Flight 4805 saying, okay, stand by for takeoff. I'll, I will call you. So they were they were just making it clear, um, yeah, you're not taking off right now. Hold on. I'll let you know. There was no reply. And no reply is generally considered a tacit yes. Like, acknowledgement. Sure. Okay. But here's the problem. I would never accept that. E- even, well, even even if it was implied to be a no. Right, right. No, and, like, and, and I would we'll want to hear some sort of confirmation. And this changed some things regarding communication, I'm sure which we'll it get did. to. Yeah. But, so, so now it seems like, okay, wait. Flight 1736 was like, hey, we're still taxiing. Control Tower was like, okay, wait, stand by for takeoff. So why did they still... Why, what is going on here? Transmissions that that were going on over these radios were two-way VHF radios, like walkie-talkies. Okay. Do you know what happens when two people try to talk to two different walkie-talkies at once? It creates an interference. They cancel each other out, and you get an interfering squeal. Mm Mm-hmm. So... 48 or um, 1736. Learned that with my uh, G.I. Joe walkie talkies. <laughs> sure, you did. That I got when I was like seven years old. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like, oh, these don't work when you're pressing them at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 1736 had said, and we're still taxiing down the runway. Control Tower said, okay, stand by for takeoff. I will call you. Oh, man. All that 4805 heard was, okay. Oh. <sighs> From the control tower, followed by several seconds of squealing. So they heard, okay. Okay, go for it. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Ten seconds later, the control tower said to flight 1736, report when runway clear. Mm -hmm. First officer Bragg said, we'll report when we're clear. 4805's second officer heard this. And said, is, is he not clear? That Pan-American? He was starting to realize, wait, okay, maybe something is wrong. And Van Zanten said emphatically, oh, yes. He's like, I got this. Yeah, he's like, I got this. They're clear. He's like, my name is Van Zanten. <laughs> I'm the face of KLM. I've got everything. It doesn't matter. Yep. No shit. So it was clear he thought they were fine. But, but, his, but credit to his... Uh, co-pilot was just like I'm not, um, I'm not sure about like are they not clear yeah, yeah. and he was just like yeah whatever like, yeah fuck it he was like this is my runway yeah and everything that I'm saying they're saying is quotes direct quotes sure um, either from testimony yeah, or cockpit voice recorders or fucking yeah. eerie mm-hmm. like the one guy knew that hey something's not on the up and mm-hmm. up and the other guy just really didn't yeah. care. So after all this communication, Flight 1736 pilot Victor Grubbs was getting nervous around what was happening. And remember, the fog is making visibility not possible. So that's why they're not saying, holy shit, they're coming towards us. They were not seeing any of it. Control Tower couldn't see them. Right. So that's why... The Control Tower definitely couldn't see them. I mean, they were six, seven stories above the ground. so. So Grubbs was getting nervous, and he said, quote, Let's get the fuck out of here. Meaning, find the next taxiway, pull off, get out of this potentially dangerous situation. But within a few seconds, he and his crew saw the lights from 4805 approaching them dead on. And and no way out of it at that point. Well, Grubbs increased the 747's taxiing speed as quickly as he could and started steering to the left, off into the grass to get away out of the runway. Um, he oh, he yelled. Man. You ready? He I'm yelled. Not, I'm not ready. I'm not sure if I'm ready for this. He yelled, quote, There he is. Look at him. God damn, that son of a bitch is coming. 
And Bob Bragg yelled, get off, get off, get off. Van Zanten finally saw Flight 1736 and immediately tried to just get his plane airborne. Get it up. Oh, yeah. Get it over, clear, Go get up. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that didn't work out. Well, you remember the fuel he got? Mm Mm-hmm. Added about four tons to the weight of the plane. So that was one of the reasons he couldn't get off up fast enough. The tail of 4805 dragged on the runway for about 70 feet, creating sparks. Jesus Christ. And managed to, just at the last second, take off. But the undercarriage of the plane crashed into the ceiling of the middle, because the Pan Am plane's Mm -hmm. kind of angled off to the side now. Mm -hmm. The middle of the Pan Am plane at a speed of 140 knots or 160 miles per hour, 260 kilometers per hour. And there was a series of explosions. We're talking fuselages and Mm. engines and fuel and ignition. So 4805 rolled sharply and crashed back onto the runway, skidding for a thousand feet. Oh my God. Because it was so full of fuel from the earlier insistence of extra fueling, it was immediately and completely consumed by fire. No one on board had the chance to escape, and all 248 on board died. Jesus. It took hours to put out the fire. Oh, fuck yeah, I'm sure. Now let's... It's a plane full of fuel. Yeah. So, KLM Flight 4805, all 248 mm-hmm. passengers and crew on board died. Let's get back to Flight 1736. Mm-hmm. The Pan Am flight. Yes. So, on Flight 1736... The pilot and first and second officers who saw the crash coming, they had tried to pull off to the left, saw the plane just bearing down on them, instinctively ducked in their cockpit. Okay. And after the impact, first officer Bragg, still like kind of ducking down, trying to protect his head, reached up with his hand to try and, and reach a series of levers that could be used to cut off fuel, cut off oxygen to okay. the plane, or electricity, rather, and, and hydraulics. So he was trying to follow procedures to prevent further explosions, further problems um, with the plane. But he couldn't find the levers. Like, he was reaching and couldn't feel them. He looks up. The whole ceiling of the gone. cockpit was just gone. He was looking up into the sky. Jesus. Yeah. So he looked behind him, and the entire plane, from as far as he could see behind him, was burning. Jesus fucking Christ. So he knew he had to get out, and he and the rest of the crew in the cockpit had to jump 35 feet to the ground. I was going to say, those, those are up there. Um, to, to into the grass and were remarkably and miraculously relatively unharmed. <laughs> oh, shit. They all made it out. Uh, he, he injured his ankle. Ta- ta- that was about yeah. it. Talk about a good tuck and roll. Yeah, right? I mean, that's a, right? That's what you do from like a certain height mm-hmm. when you're jumping from something. Mm-hmm. It's like tuck and roll. So These guys are jumping from 35 feet. Yeah. So our crew, Jesus. Our, our, our pilots are safe. Some passengers managed to survive, too, mostly towards the front of the plane. Sure. They crawled out onto the left wing, which was intact. They tried to wait for rescue, but because initially of the thick smog, the thick fog (laughs) and smoke, rescuers didn't realize there was a second plane involved in Mm -hmm. the whole crash. They were after KLM Flight 4805. Mm -hmm. So eventually, most of the people on the wing had to jump to to rescue themselves. They just had to get out of there. 355 of the 396 people on board died. Man. Which, if you do your math, means 61 people survived, including the pilot and his crew. I was thinking of the math in the other way, meaning uh, like like 85% of the people died. Mm-hmm. Well, and survivors were like, yeah, if I hadn't been in the front of the plane, I would have oh, been Oh, th- this is another one where it just it mattered where you were. It really did. If you were in the middle of the airplane, mm-hmm. you're done. Gone. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you're if you're way cl- very close to the front, meaning first class. Right. Yeah. And if you're at the very maybe tail end of the back. Maybe I didn't read as I didn't yeah. hear or see as much about the rear of the plane, though. I would. Imagine, I would imagine there was maybe, a couple. Maybe. Yeah. That's that would be the only possibility. Yeah. Definitely it definitely, not if you're it definitely in the tore out the middle of the plane yes, and then completely. You're, that you're was done. the first thing that happened. Yeah, took and you're out the done. Of the plane. Yeah. And 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 again, thankfully, probably none of those people. Realized that they were about to die. Just all of a sudden, boom. Well, right. Like, the crew didn't even know they no. were about to die until, like, the la- or no. they could have been about to die in, like, the last 30 seconds. So they went so. from doing whatever you do in your seat in a plane to two seconds later, they were dead. Well, after waiting for two hours mm-hmm. on the top, like, their day's kind of shot to shit because... It, they were probably pissed off it's and shot, tired. It's not and shot to shit. It's just, it's an inconvenience. We, well, a we, big we, inconvenience. We've all been there. Yes. But you know what I mean? If yeah. they had reservations yeah. or something going on, it's a big inconvenience. Yeah. You know, so they're probably there, like, tired and pissed. Like, oh, they were going. coming from LAX. Mm-hmm. They had been in the pla- in planes for long, hours. Yeah, it's a long ride. Yeah. So. And then next thing you know. And there, there was no next thing they knew. Just no, all of a sudden. Done. It was just done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rescue efforts were difficult due to visibility. Sure. Also due and to the to, fact... And to just all the fires and yes. just every... Plus, uh, like all the chaos that's going on. Here's over 500 casualties, additional injuries, and survivors on a tiny island airport and on a small island. You know, just infrastructure alone was sure. difficult. Um, Not exactly tip-top. Yeah, and there was just a ton of traffic on the tarmac, too, because of the closure of Gran Canaria. Wow. Los Rodeos immediately closed themselves to all fixed-wing traffic and stayed closed for two days while they were clearing the debris from the runway. On March 29th, so two days later, all 61 survivors were transported by the United States Air Force to an Air Force base in the U.S. for treatment. Remember, this was coming from LAX, mm-hmm. so by and large, mostly U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. So that's why they were taking them back to the United States. The Spanish Army was in charge of clearing the wreckage from the runways and completed it by April 3rd when Los Rodeos was back up and fully operational as an airport. When KLM, this is, this is just a mind-blowing little fact, when KLM was first notified of the crash, they attempted to contact one Jacob Van Zanten, the pilot of 4805 mm-hmm. who was dead, mm-hmm. to enlist his help in the investigation because he was so trusted and because he was so experienced. And obviously that was before they realized he was the pilot. Mm-hmm. That kind of caused all of this. Whose decisions... That kind of... who. Whose decisions certainly didn't help no. anything. So obviously, this was not his uh, purpose. No, no, no. It was not. <laughs> obviously, it was not, not deliberate, and no. it was a mix-up, and there were other things. He didn't want to kill himself or anybody no. in that plane, or five hundred other people. Yeah, yeah. But because he was such a, like, he may have been a little hot shoddy. Mm-hmm. Thinking that he, oh, whatever. Like, I know best. I've yeah. like mm-hmm. like I have clearance because I said so, even though. We all know those people yeah. who, because they're an authority, mm-hmm. think that they know better. And yeah. And usually they don't know shit. <laughs> so. In this case, unfortunately, he didn't, and it killed almost 600 people. God. So the investigation was headed by Spain's. Are you ready for more Spanish? Yeah, I am. Always. Comisión de Investigación. That was terrible. That was terrible. I can do better. I was going to give a golf clap for that. What, um, what, what do we have coming? Comisión. De investigación de accidentes e incidentes de aviación civil. Civil. That means. Wait for it. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, That means the um, Commission for Investigations of Accidents and Incidents in Civil Aviation. That sounds like something else. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. That's better. <laughs> Should I cut that out? <laughs> oh, he was golf clapping for everybody. Let's move on. Um, so they found the cockpit voice recorder from Flight 4805, 
And so that's how they knew what the conversation had been in the cockpit. Um, It was concluded that the main reason for the accident was KLM Captain Van Zanten's attempt to take off without proper clearance. Ronnie Van Zanten. (laughs) Ronnie Van Zanten. Little Stephen Van Zanten. (laughs) Yes. No, they were not involved in this in any way. They suggested part of the reason was KLM as an airline was known for their punctuality. And he was getting antsy to leave as soon as possible to maintain that reputation and before the weather got any worse. Even though he was the one who asked for extra fuel. So the fog and the communication interference were considered two other main factors. They certainly didn't help. No. And lesser factors cited were um, KLM's co-pilot using the phrase, we're at takeoff, which was not standard. Um, The okay heard from the control tower, followed by the squealing. And Flight 1736's failure to pull off onto the taxiway they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Had they done they, that, they, they would have been out of the That's way. right, because yeah. they did miss their initial... Again, perfect storm of just a bunch of factors. Um, and then another factor was just the overcrowding of Los Rodeos due to the closure mm-hmm. of the Gran Canaria airport. Those due, two due planes... To, due to a terrorist attack. Yes, those two planes wouldn't have been there mm-hmm. if it weren't for a terrorist attack. And I'm sure, and I'm sure those were not the only two planes that were rerouted. Probably not. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it was so it was, overcrowded because yeah. so many were rerouted yeah. there. So yeah, the other airport they had shut down for amazingly two hours, several yeah. hours. Uh huh. Two. Well, basically, well, two that's hours, what I'm saying. But, like but, two but nowadays, it'd be like, oh, oh it's oh, we got to get to the bottom of this, and well, like, and I, yeah. I wouldn't blame them for that. I wouldn't say I that know, was not. But, well, that was too long. I mean, that, yeah, you, yeah, I, I see, I see what you mean. But it seems like back in the day, people didn't really worry that much. It was just like, okay, neutralize. <laughs> this is done. You We've, mean there wasn't the overabundance? There of wasn't caution. a panic. Yeah. Well, yeah. It yeah. was like they handled it. Okay, nothing else is going on. I guess we were you open. I guess I'm mainly thinking that I'm okay with authorities taking as long as they feel is necessary <laughs> to make sure I I'm not going to explode. I don't know. I guess it depends. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Okay. Here's what I do know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be in any scenario involving a plane accident. No. No. And this is the worst aviation accident and it happened in on ground. Fucking history. Ground, yes. Well, semi on ground, semi in the air because of the... Hey, I mean, <laughs> the one plane barely got off the ground. Yeah. So... Yeah. So... Jesus. KLM bulked initially against the conclusion that it was their pilot who was primarily at fault for this. They claimed... But, but he was. Yeah, they claimed that the lesser factors, you know, all those other things should have been weighed more heavily. Um, right, and that's and that's not necessarily bullshit. I mean, well, they, they probably should they have were, been. They were weighed. Right. They were included, or they were, you know, considered, certainly. Um, but eventually, KLM actually accepted responsibility for the crash. Well, good. Uh, they, paid, they should. Yeah. They paid the survivors and victims' families between, and I'm sure this had to do over whether who died versus got injured versus whatever, between 58000 and 600000 U.S. dollars. So Per person. Per, per family or incident per or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, overall, the collision was an example of a perfect storm. Of natural and human factors. Largely human, but there was also the fog. If the fog hadn't been there, if any one of those things hadn't happened, there was a decent chance that it... None of this Exactly. Probably the fog would be the biggest thing, I would think. Well, or, or them turning not having turned off onto the right taxiway. just the Or whole, the communication, or the... The whole visibility thing, though. Well, yeah, like, that clearly be, that was an issue. But still, like, but it, it was, any it one just, thing absent yeah, would have changed this. 600 people, you know? Um, Worldwide, multiple changes were made in aviation communication as a result of this accident. And, oh, let's not have two planes on the same runway at the same time. Well, but specifically this, this really changed aviation communication. They standardized phrases to avoid miscommunication. So, like, it's not just, oh, more um, at takeoff. You know, they have much more clear phrasing of what they're supposed mm-hmm. to say and when and why. Um, and they also moved to English as a common working language. Okay. So that is the deadliest 
aviation accident in history. That sucked a lot. It's a bad one. It's a bad one. So 583 people dead. Jesus. Now, there and, are plenty and, and of others with hundreds, and, but... And the, and the other thing is, too, like, how often do you hear of a head-on collision between well, two planes? Well, I mean, well, whatever. Uh, dynamic collision uh-huh. between two planes that are essentially both still on the ground. Uh, yes, yes. There are some very scary uh, stories of midair collisions. Right. Which, which is, we will get to. Which but. is somewhat understandable. It is. Well, air traffic control yeah. should right. make that not right. the case. But, but uh, yeah, I mean... But something like this should never happen no, on the ground. No, it's avoidable. Like I said, every yeah. single one of those factors was... If any one of them had been absent, like six hundred, almost six hundred people would still be alive, Jesus. or at least wouldn't have died then. You know, yeah. terrific, I isn't mean, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, think of just if you were one of those passengers about to get hit, because somebody looked up. You know, somebody looked up at the last second, well, like out there, right? They out, were out turned, their window. so yeah, yeah. Some of them could have seen that yeah. plane. Probably Fucking did barreling down. Yes, on. and that was the last thing they saw. And being like, yeah. oh sh. And then they probably didn't even it. get the shit out. Yeah. They were just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Gone. Yeah. Like, you're not surviving that. No, it was a really <laughs> horrific thing. Yeah. Really horrific. Now, I said, we did, um, just a few weeks ago, we did the uh, um, Mount Erebus disaster, yes. which was another air disaster. Right. But that, then, was, that was a computer error. Well, like no, the, that was another miscommunication. Yes. Well, true. Having to do with the yes. coordinates, that's right. true. And much different. But the one of the reasons I did another... I usually try to, like, you we, know, do bury our disasters. We try to, we try to <laughs> spread out our disasters. Exactly. Like, like, we'll do a plane one week, and then we right. won't do it again for a little bit. All right. The reason I... We just did one a few weeks ago and doing one now. First of all, there are so many plane crashes there and are. air disasters that well, they're, I'll they're, need to pick them up a little bit, but... They're famous just on, on, they're n- on the accounting... They're notorious. Sort of. Well, yeah, or infamous, I mm-hmm. guess, probably infamous, mm-hmm. because at any given time there are thousands of planes in the sky. Yeah, they say and, something and nothing like three in, to four million people yeah. are literally in the air at, yeah. at any and, given and moment. And nothing ever happens. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And so much yeah. of flying is incident-free, incident-free, yeah. Yeah. that even this large number of air disasters are a, such a tiny fraction. They that's are. why it's safer than driving, you know, yeah. what they say. But another reason... That I um, that I wanted to do this one is because, provided fingers crossed, my research <laughs> works out, we're going to be covering a couple of very big, well, one enormous disaster and one big disaster, like, I'll give you a little tease for South Florida, a local disaster okay. for me, okay. for my hometown, um, that are going to be multi-parters. So pretty much after next week's episode, we're going to be into a couple of big multi-parters that are natural disasters. So I wanted to cover some non-natural disasters. We wanted to cover a transportation disaster before this happened. Yeah, and we covered a, a, a <laughs> so, maritime disaster last week. So. so I hope you're not listening to this podcast while you're on a plane. Especially Just, especially if you're on the runway taxiing right now. Well, Turn tri- it off. yes, Oh my god, trigger warning, never listen to... Don't listen to us on a plane, or a boat, or... On land. Well, (laughs) you can't... Listen to our podcast when you're nice and relaxed and happy in bed. Yes, that's the only (laughs) time it should be done. When you're trying to go to sleep. Yes, that's the only time it should be done. Now that's also a terrible idea. That is. But yeah. Because because we're basically admitting like our podcast will put you to sleep. <laughs> and maybe the hey, maybe that well, hey, maybe that's not the worst if thing. If it works, if it works for you, at least we can cure your insomnia by telling you in dulcet tones about terrible, terrible things. Yes, the one plane was on the runway taking off. The other plane was ascending and also taking off, and the two planes collided, causing the deaths of five hundred plus people. No, I think it would be more like, and then <laughs> the KLM plane. <laughs> took off. Oh, but it didn't get very far. Like you're telling a bedtime story. This has gotten really creepy. Okay, I'll stop. (laughs) But anyway, that's all to tease that we have a very big... That's all all to tease a lullaby we've already come up with for our next couple of episodes. (laughs) No, we've got a 
big disaster next week that you're going to like, I know. And that you won't like, but you'll like, you know. I like disasters, yes. 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 And then we're going to have two big disasters to... Um, multi-parters that'll finish out by, the rest by of the year. Big, by big, you're meaning, like, famous. like Yes, yes. Okay. One locally famous for me, it's my hometown disaster. Okay. And one world-renowned horror- horrific to our generation. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to those in the worst possible way. Yeah. Our audience, the sick people that they are, hmm? are looking forward to it in, like, in like a, oh, yeah, let's get to it. <laughs> No, I, I, I did not mean to say that audience, but you know that there's two or three people like, yes. They, they, well, no, I mean, it's the same. The, where did the bodies come from? No, it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are probably some creepers out there, but. We hope not. But, you no, know, it's the same thing as like when, um, like if you ever listen to, like, I'm a murderer, you know, I listen to my favorite murder. And if you ever hear one of their live episodes, when they try to do local episodes sure. to wherever they are when they're touring. Whenever they say the what the murder is, like, oh, like when they were in Chicago or whatever, you know, like, so this is the murder of John Wayne Gacy. And you hear everybody go, woo, and clap and applaud. And and they always say, for Did anyone Did John Wayne who, Gacy get murdered? Did he? No, he killed people in no, Chicago. It's a hometown murder for people in Chicago. No, I understand that. But you were saying John Wayne Gacy got murdered. No, I didn't. I said the is... John Wayne Gacy murders. Or the murders oh, of John... I thought John... you said this is the murder of John Wayne Gacy. Well, maybe Gacy. I didn't, but that's not what I meant. <laughs> You're killing what I am saying by trying to point out every little thing. They knew what I meant. I'm sorry, I got confused for a second. I didn't think he got murdered. <laughs> Bomb. Bomb. <laughs> Okay, I think we need to stop. Do we? Yeah, okay. I think we're done. Well, you, you were about to go off on something. No, I was just saying that people applaud for these, you know, quote, applaud for these murders, but it's because they're interested in hearing about them, not yes. because they're applauding the murders themselves. Yes, exactly. So that's, well, that's how we anticipate yes. our disasters, is not that we're so glad they happened. That, not that we're, like, we psyched. Want to, uh, yeah. We want to hear about them, learn more from them, and, I mean... Ultimately, the the biggest thing about disasters is what can we take away to make this never happen again? Exactly. And they did try to implement some things about radio communication, you know, yeah. to prevent it from happening again. Yeah. And also, there are just lessons learned. Lessons learned about you know sometimes, just there are perfect storms and life just goes to shit sometimes. Yeah. And you should be thankful that it hasn't so far for you. Yeah, and this was one of those times where there were about three or four factors. A laundry list of them that yeah. contributed to this, and yeah. it was just, uh, it was inevitable for this to happen. Unfortunately, given yeah. the circumstances. Yeah. So. So that was the Tenerife collision. Yes, and this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. <laughs>